We're in Acts chapter 17. Just while you're turning there, so um, we're on the, uh, the Elders WhatsApp group from Grace Church Halewood, which is where I'm a member. Um, they were saying, please send our regards, send our love. Sydney especially was sending his love to, to Eddie in the fellowship. So, um, so yeah, greetings from Halewood. Acts chapter 17. Just to set the context a little bit. So Paul has been in Thessalonica and he's been preaching the gospel. A church has been formed and a riot has taken place where they've booted him out and he's had to escape the city. He's gone to Berea. He's preached again. Another church has been formed and then the Thessalonians have come along and started another riot in Berea and Paul's had to escape so he's escaped to Athens and he's waiting in Athens for his friends to come. So he's on his own in Athens. So we're in verse 16 of Acts 17. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each, of us, each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of our own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, 
We should not think that a divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you that your word is truth. Lord, we are fallen and we desperately need your spirit at work in our hearts. We thank you for our salvation, but Lord, we need to be made more like Jesus each day. Lord, I ask that you would speak to us now and I ask that your word would impact our lives. Lord, that we would, for those who come here, would return to this place next week more like Jesus than we are now. Lord, we ask that you would work in our hearts and do us good through hearing your gospel, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul is in Athens on his own, or in Liverpool we'd say on his tod, yeah, all on his own. And he's waiting there for his friends to come. Athens is basically the centre of intellect and philosophy of the day, this huge cosmopolitan city. And Paul is there on his own and he does a bit of sightseeing. He walks around Athens and he sees everywhere that they are obsessed with religion. There's temples everywhere, there's gods everywhere, there's idols. Everywhere you go, the whole society rotates around intellect and religion. And Paul is pretty bothered about this. In fact, we read that Paul was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Paul isn't indifferent. Paul isn't blind to it or just turn the eye. Paul is distressed in himself. And he's going to do something about it. He doesn't just wait for his friends. You can imagine that would be the kind of sensible thing to do. Paul, you're on your own. Give it a few days. Your companions will come. Then you can start preaching the gospel. But Paul, it, it's like he just can't hold it in. So he speaks up. And it's interesting to note that that's not normal in the New Testament. Normally in the New Testament, Christians work in a group. It's not normally one person on their own. It's quite rare that that happens. But in this instance, Paul doesn't have another option. And he's not going to sit around and wait. And so Paul, he goes to speak to the Jews in the synagogue. He goes to the Greeks that fear God. And if that's not enough, he goes into the marketplace every day. And he's 
talking to them, he's reasoning with them, he's preaching to them about Jesus and the resurrection. That's his message. We see that there in verse 18. Jesus and the resurrection. Now our society today isn't that dissimilar. A society that will believe anything except the one true God. They'll make a God out of anyone or anything. They'll make a God out of intellect for certain. Philosophy and intellect will prove everything and we no longer need God in our lives. Thank you very much. But how much does that bother us? It's easy for us to come to church, isn't it, every week and to go, well, we're okay and that's the world and they're fallen. But really, we should be, as Paul is, we should be distressed when we see the state of our nation and we should be concerned to do something about it. It's easy to say, well, Paul, he's Paul, come on. Paul is great intellect. He studied under Gamaliel. He's, he knows it all. He's an apostle. He's met the risen Lord Jesus. If anyone's going to answer the big questions, Paul's got the answers. But actually... What we find is that Paul isn't reasoning with them about their philosophy. Paul has a very simple message. He's preaching Jesus and the resurrection, verse 18. And there is no Christian in this world who cannot speak about Jesus and the resurrection. We understand who Jesus is. We understand what he's done for us. We understand the cross. We understand that he's raised from the dead and he's alive today and that one day he's coming back. We can speak that truth. We don't have to be embarrassed. We don't have to feel that we're, we're so small because of the, we don't have the answers to the big philosophy and the science of today. We don't have to worry about that. We preach Jesus Christ and the resurrection we're thankful for people with the big brains who can answer the tough questions. But we have a simple, simple message that we can speak to our neighbours, to our friends, to our family, to those we meet in our day-to-day -day lives. So Paul is, uh, is being noticed, you could say, and they give, him a, they give him a date in the Areopagus. They give him a date in the, uh, the big intellectual kind of debating house of the day. Come to our place, Paul, and speak to us. Entertain us with your ideas. And that's basically what they love to hear. We read that in verse 21. They just love to hear new ideas, new philosophies, new things to joke about, to laugh about, to think about, to debate, to pull apart. Come along, Paul, and we'll have a bit of fun. Come to our place. And so Paul goes to the Areopagus and he stands up and we're going to think about his sermon this morning. Makes my life a bit easier when I just preach someone else's sermon. So I'm allowed to preach Paul's sermon, I think. So let's go through Paul's sermon together. <clears throat> Paul stands up when he addresses the men of Athens. I see that you are very religious. 
I've seen all your worship, I've seen all your idols. And I've even found an altar that says to the unknown God, just in case you've missed out a God, you've made an altar just in case. How wise of you. Yeah? But what I want you to see is this, that although they're very religious, they still don't know God. You know, knowledge plus religion doesn't equal God. It doesn't equal faith. It doesn't equal salvation. Knowledge and religion does nothing for you. These people in Athens, they've got nothing to show for their knowledge and their religion. But Paul is going to present to them the unknown God, the God who can be known. And he speaks firstly about how this God that he wants to present is the creator of all things. He's the God who made the world and everything in it. He's made it all. This God was there before it all. Before time, before the world had been made, God was there. That's the God I'm talking about. Now contrast that with their gods. Their gods hadn't been invented a thousand years before. Their gods had a beginning. Someone invented them. Someone designed them. Someone made them up. And we see that later on. When he talks about um, verse 29. Their gods are like gold and silver or stone. An image that's been man by man's design and skill. They've been made by man. Man created their gods. But let me tell you about the God that created man. That's his message. So he talks about the God who's made it all. But he's not just the God who made it all and then left it all to just carry on. He's the God who's the Lord of it all. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. So he's the one who's in control of it all. He's the boss. He's in charge of it all. Now, this is radically different to the Greek gods. You see, the Greek gods, for one thing, they're the specific nation. They're the Greek gods. Yeah, other nations have their own gods. So they're not the Lord of heaven and earth. They're the God of Greece. And not just that, but they had multiple gods. So they had a god for um, a, war, a god of war, a god of fertility, a god of love, a god of the ocean, a god for this, that and the other. But let me tell you about the God who's the God of it all. Not just this nation, not just these aspects of your nation. Let me tell you about the God who's the Lord of heaven and earth. And you know, the significant thing is this, that a nation's gods, when they went into war with another nation, the nation who won, it was their gods that had got the victory. What's the implication? Your God can be beaten but when you're the Lord of heaven and earth you cannot be beaten because there is no rival the one true God is so different to the Greek gods of the day and note verse 24 he says that the, the Lord of heaven and earth he doesn't live in temples built by man's hands 
He can't be contained in a building. He doesn't live in a building. If you go to St. Paul's Cathedral in London, it says on the door as you go in, this is the house of the Lord. What an arrogant statement. You've built this fantastic building and you think that that is where God's going to live. You've got another thing coming. God's much bigger than that. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He can't, he can't live in a building. He can't live in your brick shed, no matter how small or big it is. This is the Lord of heaven and earth. And the Greek gods, they've got temples all over the city. And Paul's saying, let me tell you about the God who won't live in those pathetic things. Our God lives in heaven and earth. <coughs> heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool, we read elsewhere. He's vast. And we see, verse 25, that our God is the one who sustains man as opposed to the God that man sustains. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything from us because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. You see the problem? Their gods are completely dependent upon man. They have people serving them all day, bringing them a meal that they can't even eat because they're dead. Moving them from this part of the temple to this part of the temple, doing them, helping them out, having these great festivals for them, polishing the statue, serving this God. And Paul says, that's ludicrous. Our God is the one who cannot be served in this way. He is the one who gives to life, gives to men life and breath and everything else. He's the one sustaining you. You can't sustain him. Your gods need you to sustain them. But our God is the one sustaining you. Their gods just continually take life out of them. The demands of following religion, you've got to do this and do this and do this and keep doing because hopefully you might please the gods. Just taking the life out of you. But Paul says, our God, the one true God, he gives life. He's giving you life rather than taking life from you. He's the source of life. And he's a sovereign God. He's in complete control. We see that in verse 26. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God's in complete control. You live where you live today because God's put you there. In his eternal plan, why were you not born 200 years ago? Why were you not born in another country? Maybe you were born in another country. But why were you born where you were born when you were born? Because God decided that was where you belonged in the history of the earth. God is in control. Completely in control. He is sovereign and powerful. 
Notice why God did that. So not just as he determined where people live and when they live. Verse 27, he gives us the reason. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Why has God put you where you are when you are? So that you can seek God and find him. In God's wisdom, that's why you are where you are when you are. So that you will seek God and find him. And here you are, hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ in 2022. On this date, whatever the date is, in October. You're here so that you can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because God is that in control of all people everywhere. And he's not just a God that decides where we live, when we live. He's a God that can be found. He sees that though he's not far from each one of us, in him we live and move and have our being. So we can find this God. We can have a relationship with this God. Their gods were distant. Their gods, you couldn't know their gods. You couldn't talk with their gods because they were dead, ultimately. But they were kind of this higher thing that you couldn't attain to. But our God, he can be known. He can be found. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. He speaks of God, of us being God's offspring. That's there in verse 28. He is our father and we are his offspring. He has made us and we are his. We've been made in his image. That's radical to the Greeks. They don't see themselves as God's offspring. But he's saying, let me tell you about the one true God who's living, who we've come from. And we're made in his image. We're his offspring. We can know him and have a relationship as a father. And he's a living God. We see there that he talks about him being the divine being in verse 29. Not like these dead statues of gold and silver and stone that you've made up. He's the living God. He can be known. So that's Paul's message. Look at the one true God in comparison to your feeble things that you're worshipping. This is the one true God. Now Paul, what's that got to do with us? You see, Paul isn't there just to give a theology lecture, as good as that might be. Paul's there to turn the screw. Paul's there to give an application. Paul's there to preach Jesus and the resurrection. Remember, that's his message from earlier on. That's his, that's his aim. He's not there just to tickle their ears with some theology. And so Paul now turns into his application. What is he going to say to these people in Athens what do they need to hear from God? And there's three things. Firstly, there's a universal command that's there in verse 30. He says this. But now he commands all people 
everywhere to repent. God commands. This isn't just an invitation to be more religious. This isn't Paul just saying you need to add another God to your collection. Paul's saying the one true God who you don't know is commanding you to turn, to repent, to leave all of that behind you, all of those gods and those idols, to leave the whole lot behind you and to turn to him and to trust in him alone. Repent of all of that and come to the one true living God. Now you need to understand this in the context. The context is that Paul is preaching Jesus and the resurrection. We saw that in verse 18. So how is it that you and I can be made right with God? How is it that we can repent and turn to God and be saved? Because a God that just sweeps our sin under the carpet, a God who just turns a blind eye to our wrong, isn't a just God, isn't a God of justice, isn't really the one true God if they ignore our wrong. But in Jesus, God has taken our sin and placed it on him. God has taken our sin and placed it on the only one who deserved heaven, the only man who deserved to be with him in heaven, and he took it on the cross. And he died in our place on the cross. And he raised again to give us new life. God can forgive sins if we repent because Jesus has paid it all. And notice that this command, I said it's a universal command. He says it's to all people. God commands all people everywhere. There's no partiality. Religion, Christianity, sorry, isn't for one specific group of people. Christianity isn't for white people or middle class people or males more than females. Christianity shows no partiality. Christianity is for all people who will repent and come to Jesus Christ. And what we find is in heaven on that last day, there will be people from every nation every tribe and tongue, male and female, people from all backgrounds united in Jesus Christ. Our society makes a big deal about diversity and inclusion these days, if you hadn't noticed. It's the buzzwords of the day, diversity and inclusion. And Christians can cower from that, but the reality is Christians should be the most diverse and inclusive group on the planet. Because that's what the gospel is. Not saying stay as you are, but the gospel says come and leave who you are and come to Jesus Christ and be saved. And anyone can do that. And heaven will be a truly diverse and inclusive place because we will all be in Christ. So there's a universal command Secondly, there's a universal consummation. Now you say, what on earth does that mean? But it's the day when time will be completed. It's the day when it will be all wrapped up. 
It's the day when God will put right what is wrong. It's the day when Christ will be united with his bride, the church. And Paul there speaks about it, the day when Jesus will return. But note the way that he does. He has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. Note this, the day is fixed in God's calendar. God has set a day. That is when I'm going to return. That's the day it will be on. It's in your diary. And it's in my diary. I just can't see it. But it's certainly in God's diary. And God, the living God, doesn't need to adjust his diary to suit the times that we're living in. God doesn't need to look at the world and go, do you know what? I think we better go back sooner. It's in a right pickle. Yeah? And it is in a right pickle. And sometimes we as Christians can look at the world, and I've probably said this myself, we can go, he needs to come back soon. He doesn't. He'll come back on the day that he's appointed because he knows when he needs to come back. It's not for us to decide. I might be a bit harsh on people who say that there. But the reality is, I'm trying to emphasize, it's a fixed day in God's calendar. It's not going to change. God is in control and he doesn't have to adjust for us. And note that it's a global event. So he's fixed a day when he'll judge, but he's going to judge the world. No one is exempt from this judgment. But here's the real incredible thing about the whole passage. He's spoken about this incredible God, this God who created everything, this God who's Lord of heaven and earth, this God who gives life to all, this God who we, uh, who we are his offspring, this God who can be known and found, this God who we must repent of everything and turn to him because he's worth it. This God who's going to judge the whole world. And then we find out that the judge of the whole world is a man. A man? Now you might not be very shocked by that. But for the Greeks, that is crazy. <laughs> They've got all their gods of this, that and the other. And you're telling us that the God of the whole world is a man. An actual human being. Who's going to return to this world and judge? And Paul's like, yeah. His name is Jesus Christ. He lived on this earth. He lived a perfect life. He was the son of God and you crucified him. But God raised him up. And he's coming back as judge. The judge of this world is a man. He needs to be a man. He needs to be a man because he could never have taken our sins if he wasn't a man. He could never have died if he wasn't a man. Incredible, isn't it? He is mortal because he can die, but immortal because he's God. And God had to take on humanity so that he could die, so that he could become mortal. But this man who is ascended into heaven, bearing the scars for us. He is returning, 
and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, even those who made those scars, they will see Jesus Christ in all of his glory when he comes on that day as judge. So there's a universal command, there's the universal consummation where it will all get wrapped up and Christ will be reunited with his bride. And then thirdly, there's a universal confirmation. <coughs> Paul, how do we know this is true? How can we believe you, Paul? And it's right there at the end of verse 31. He has given proof of this to all men. It's universal. By raising him from the dead. He's proved it. This man has proved it to us. Because his tomb is empty. And as long as his tomb is empty. We can have absolute certainty. We can have full assurance. That he will forgive. And that he is the judge. Because he's conquered death. And he's risen. We can know that it's true. Because his tomb is empty. So there's Paul's application. Now what's the aftermath of Paul's sermon? What's the response? Well we see three responses. The first response is there in verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead. Some of them sneered. Or laughed. Or mocked. Some of them said, what a load of rubbish. A man rising from the dead and coming to judge us. Not having that, Paul. We don't believe you. And they mocked. Then there were some others. And they said, well, not now, Paul. Not now. We want to hear you again on this subject. Come again another day. We'll give you another slot. It's interesting, but not for us now. Do you know, that's a really dangerous position to be in. The not now group. The no group is a very dangerous position to be in, but the not now group are really part of the no group. The not now group don't believe. The not now group say, my life is more important than following Jesus Christ. The not now group say, my next week is more precious to me than my eternal soul. My next day is more precious than following Jesus Christ. I'm not going to repent now. I've got a few years to live and enjoy my life before I turn to Jesus Christ. Maybe I'll turn to Jesus Christ when I'm on my deathbed. Maybe I'll wait till I die and then I'll turn to Jesus and I'll kind of get the benefits of heaven then. If that's the case... If that's how you think you don't love Jesus Christ at all, you have completely missed the point that Jesus Christ is more important than everything else in this world. That he is the God who gives life and breath to everything and you are the one who need to give your life to him. You've missed the point if you think you can wait Not to mention that you don't know whether you'll have it tomorrow. I was in church through the week. I was sat a few seats away from a man in his early 60s, I think. Perfectly healthy, 
No one knew there was anything wrong with him. And that was the last time I saw him. And he's now in glory. We never know what the Lord has in store for us. Now is when we need to respond and repent and come to Jesus Christ. But there's a third group of people and they've heard Paul, but they've also heard another voice. They've heard the Holy Spirit at work in them. And a few men we read in the verse 34 became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, an important man in this area of debate and intellect. He comes and he leaves it all behind and he follows Jesus Christ. And also a woman named Damaris and a number of others. It's great that the Bible the Holy Spirit, in his wisdom, gives us a man and a woman. God is calling all people to repent. And he's coming to judge all people. And he's shown the, the, the resurrection of Jesus, his confirmation to all people. And now it is for all people, whether male or female, black or white, or whatever difference you want to put in the, between, God is calling all to repent. And all can believe and come under Jesus Christ and follow him. I pray that you'll do that this morning. We're going to sing about Jesus, our King. We're going to sing, Jesus is King and I will extol him. It's 366. We're going to give him the glory and honour his name because he's the one who reigns on high. He's the word of the Father, exalted for us. What a King and a Saviour we have in Jesus.